Hey, everybody, welcome to the Pre-Accident Investigation Podcast. It's the day you have dreamt of for years. It's me, Todd Conkrod. I'm glad you're here. What an interesting, groovy time we're having. It's uh, it's midsummer. It's deep in the middle of summer. So actually, unfortunately, I don't need this kills me to say this out loud. We're actually nearing the end of summer, which is tragic to me because that means it zooms by. But I don't know. I mean, if you think about it, that's pretty much how time happens now. It just zooms by. Time is a nonverbal agenda. I don't know if you thought much about time in a philosophical standpoint. And by the way, don't because it'll freak you the flip out. Uh, it's, it's, yeah. Time's weird. It's cultural. It seems like a value, like a metric, like you can measure it. It's steady and stable. And yet it's not. If, if you've ever hung out with any kind of advanced level physics people, they'll, they'll blow your brain, especially when they start talking about quantum stuff, because they're just going to tell you time's kind of made up. Uh, how did this happen? How, why am I having a discussion around time? Oh, because I'm freaked out about it. That's why. And it and it moves quick. So have you know if you're doing so? Have you ever read? There's a book by a guy named Joseph Heller. It's a classic book. If you've not read, it, it's called Catch Twenty Two, and it talks about the the main character in that book is a guy named Yosarian, and he often would talk about the fact that he'd spend time peeling potatoes. Not because he loved peeling potatoes, because I'm pretty sure nobody loves peeling potatoes. If you poll the studio audience, pretty much nobody likes that job. But he would spend time peeling potatoes because it was so tedious and boring, and it seemed to never end. And he would do that because he actually believed he was lengthening lengthening his life. I, I talk about it all the time. When I talk about conference room chairs. So conference room chairs are, are remarkable. If you've ever sat in a conference, and pretty much all of you have, you'll notice by the end of day one, the chair is pretty uncomfortable. And I always say, if the doctor, unfortunately, would come to you and say you have one week to live, what you want to do is steal one of the conference room chairs and sit in that for a week because it would make that week feel like a year. That's time. Time, time is dramatically influenced by the level of coolness and hipness that you have whilst you're doing it. So things that are super fun to do happen quickly. Things that are super boring to do take forever. And that is, in essence, kind of a, that's a brief discussion of not just quantum physics, but time. There's much more to this, much more. The other thing I want to share with you is that I accidentally found a band that if you've not heard of them, I want you to YouTube them or Google them or whatever it is you do. The band, the, the artist is named Shiny Ribs, S-H-I-N-Y-R-I-B-S, Shiny Ribs. It was a concert. I, they did a little free concert in the park here in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And I went because, well, I think it's bad voodoo to not go to a free concert in the park. I mean, what's wrong with you? It's a free concert in the park. The worst case scenario is you're in the park. The best case scenario is you're in the park listening to really great music, and that's what happened. 
I discovered Shiny Ribs. In the midst of all this funkiness, here was this band that I, I... So they have a horn line. And anybody that brings a band with a horn line, extra credit. I mean, immediate extra credit. They have singers with choreographed singing, extra credit, extra credit. And they do really very clever, very interesting music. It's kind of, I would say it's kind of Louisiana soul with a mixture of West Texas songwriter. But you'll have to listen and tell me what you think. It's, it strikes me that this would be the kind of music you'd hear in New Orleans. But if the lyrics were written by somebody who's a pensive cowboy who rides the range alone, it's kind of that kind of music. But nonetheless, it's, I thoroughly enjoyed this band. I mean, they were remarkable. And that remarkable band, well, I'm talking about them with you. And I never, I mean, I'm, that's never is the wrong word. I do it a lot. But I try. if I introduce a band to you, it's because... I, they're, they blew me away. It's, it seems rare to find something new. And when you find it, it's completely worth sharing. That's my theory. And if I share it with you, and even if like just a couple of you dig it, then my job's done. The rest of you, you were exposed to it. You had the opportunity. You don't have to like it. I mean, I, in fact, I'm fully convinced many won't. And it is very, when you, when you watch the video, he's going to ask a lot of you, um, yeah, there's a lot going on there, but it was such a great show, it, really a great show. And we were all, there were a whole bunch of us together. We were all sitting in the in the hot sun, just enjoying this music. And I'm pretty sure I, I can't speak for everybody, but I'm pretty sure nobody thought it would be this good. Nobody, not not a soul, thought it would be this good, and it was that good. It was the kind of show where afterwards people were just like, "Man, that was fun." And in that, I mean, and and fun. So the time zoomed by because fun things happen quicker, and it was it was just a great opportunity to do so, and and that was cool as well. So other than that, um, things are good. The, the new I haven't really briefed you up on the new bike garage, but you know I had a after the second round of thefts and finding the burglar in the house, I had to kind of up my security, and uh, I have a new bike storage area. It's not really a garage. But that's what I like to call it. Um, and it's going really well. And so all bikes are still there. No new robberies. And what I'm really into, and then I promise I won't talk about it, is I I built a solar charger for my bike. I had actually built one a couple years ago during the pandemic because, you know, that was a project that caused me to be creative and think about problem solving. But what's happened is, is the the solar charger I built three years ago during the pandemic was kind of old school technology and the technology has changed dramatically. And so now my new solar charger basically goes from solar cell through something called a boost box, boost MPPT. If you know what that is, that'll make sense directly into the battery. And so it's, it's much more elegant. I mean, and it charges in the New Mexico sun, it'll charge my bike easy, easy, easy. It'll charge the bike from dead empty to full easy, easy, easy in, I would say, four hours, maybe five hours, depending on direct sun. It's just 
it just produces energy. So that's been an interesting experiment as well because I'm learning as I go, and it and it I guess I feel better about my bike's environmental footprint. But I already kind of feel good about it because you know the thing about having a bike, an e-bike like that, is you use it a lot instead of driving. So that's fun because you can park it anywhere, and that, my friends is worth its weight in gold because parking is a big issue and becoming a bigger issue everywhere because you know what we're learning if you want fewer cars in your downtown have fewer parking places if you want fewer cars in your downtown have fewer roads and that, that's what they're learning but that that is a topic for yet another day today we're going to talk a little bit about a story i want to tell you and i want to talk a little bit about this idea of leadership arrogance. Now, that sounds awful when you say leadership arrogance because it, it sounds awful because it's got the word arrogant in it. But yet, I would suggest to a great extent, it's a big influencer in how we see the world. And to do that, I probably should tell a tiny story. So this story is real. It doesn't seem like it's going to be real, but it's real. And it probably happened. I was trying to actually frame this in time. I'll bet you this is 15 years ago, but it might have been 20 years ago. And I got a call, and uh, and the call was, can you help do an investigation? This is a pretty interesting event. And I said, sure. And they said, we had a group of workers in a radiation contamination area who load tested an elevator with people and the load test failed. And then they just stopped. And I thought, holy guacamole, did I just hear what you just said? So I said, what? Tell me that again. They load tested an elevator with people and the load test failed. Is this a multi-fatality event? What, what's going on? And they progressively started to tell the story. Now, it's going to be an interesting story because it happened in a radiation contamination area. And so the word that the community uses when a facility is pretty highly contaminated the phrase that the red techs and RCTs, the radiation control technicians, use is crapped up. That room is crapped up. And that's a phrase I've heard my whole career. Now, I know radiation is a scary hazard, and I know people get a little freaky about it, but it's a hazard. It's, it's just like height or uh, a suspended load. It's a hazard. And it's a hazard that because of the job I've had, uh, I, I certainly was familiar with it because it was a part of the work we do. And rooms do get crapped up. I mean, things happen, and radiation wants to get out. That's what it likes to do. And so when something happens, you have a lot of uncertainty, and you really count on your layers of control to stop the event from eventually, I don't know, causing the world to destroy or really bad thing to have, you know, to stop. And so the radiation control part of this story seems like the most interesting part of the story, but I'd actually suggest contextually it's really going to be important 
But it wasn't the part of the story that anybody focused on. It certainly wasn't the part of the story that I focused on. I was more interested in how on earth could we test an elevator, which is pretty normal. We have to test elevators by certification. And in the state this was in, they had a pretty aggressive elevator safety program. So they had to run these tests pretty regularly. And they were run by certified testers. So it wasn't like, a, you know, the guys were making up the test protocol. A, a person came to do the test who does elevator testing. And they were testing this elevator. And instead of putting a set of dummy weights on, which is normally what they do, they just put people on and they ran the test and it failed. How did that happen? Not who failed, but what failed? What on earth could be the story? So they said, would you help do the investigation? And it was work, so I, I couldn't think of a way to say no. Plus, in this one, to be honest, I wasn't going to say no because I was super interested in what's going to happen here. So I went out and was on the team and did the investigation. And this case, like every single event you've ever investigated or every event I've ever investigated, got super interesting super fast. Because what we learned is, is that it wasn't really an elevator. It was a hydraulic lift. And I got to tell you, the difference between an elevator failing and a hydraulic lift failing, that's pretty big. Or the potential hazard there is definitely very different. Because when a hydraulic lift fails, what happens is a lot of hydraulic fluid shoots out at relatively high pressure onto the floor, and the lift slowly just goes back down to the bottom level. So that's why nobody got hurt. Nobody was injured. But it is kind of a problem in a highly contaminated facility to introduce a bunch of just wild liquid. Now, when I say under pressure, it wasn't high pressure. It was just hydraulic lift pressure. And it sprung a leak in one of the hoses when it was load tested. And so it all leaked out on the floor. And you don't want to add more waste to already a waste-filled environment that has to be cleaned. And the value of even an ounce of extra weight to be cleaned is a lot of money. And that's going to play into this story a little bit more detailed as we progress. So now that we know it wasn't an elevator that flew from the 90th floor down to the basement and people had to jump before it hit so they didn't die, now that we know that it was a hydraulic lift, We've got to understand how we got into a position where we used people to test the hydraulic lift. And that goes right back to the phrase crapped up. So the inspector gets there, and it had been a while since the inspection had happened, so they were out of compliance and couldn't use the elevator. And they wanted to because they want to start the cleanup for this process. So the inspector came in and said, I'm going to need to go out to my truck to get my weights. And what this elevator inspector had, which is probably pretty normal, although I don't do this business, but there are lots of you on the podcast that work in the elevator country. I hear you guys out there. I know where you are, right? So they usually bring in a wheeled cart with these predetermined weights, and they load the elevator with these weights and their weights their lead bars so the inspector said i'm going to bring them in and they said oh no 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 we're not going to introduce all this other material into a contaminated environment 
um, because that would be bad, and you don't get to have your weights back at the end of the test. They'd have to stay here, so you're going to donate them to us, and we're going to have to pay a lot of money to get them back out and, and do the cleanup. So because of a process we call as low as reasonably allowable, ALARA, we're going to manage and not bring those weights in. But then the worker said, but we really need this elevator. And so they adaptively did some problem solving. They said, well, can we reproduce the weight based upon material that we can certify and weigh here and put on the elevator? Is that okay? And I don't know if this is okay or not. I mean, I didn't really get to learn that detail. But eventually they talked the elevator inspector into doing that very thing. And they collected all the heavy stuff they could collect, and they weighed it so he could certify that it was the weight. And they got it on the elevator, but they were about 300 pounds short. So the determination was made to put in two workers, each at about 150 pounds, slim, sexy, probably abs. They got it all, right? They got on the elevator. And the operator ran the test. And he did the lift with the load. And that's, in fact, when the elevator failed. And that's the entire event. Now, the reason I tell this story to you is because that event suffered mightily under the way it was reported. This wasn't an elevator failed during a load test with people in lieu of weights on the elevator, even though that's exactly what happened, that's not what happened. What happened is a hydraulic lift failed under load, which included two workers riding the lift during the test, and that it failed in a contaminated area where they couldn't use the normal weights because they couldn't introduce more waste into the system. Now, one of those is incredibly egregious and makes the workers look like they're idiots. The other is incredibly mature, thoughtful, well-intentioned, and really could only be done by very smart workers. The difference is, is in how we phrased it. And that really is the point of the story is that our job, once we started the investigation, actually, let me rephrase that, once we started learning what happened and could describe in a context-rich story all the adaptions that were necessary to get smart workers in a place where this outcome was possible, the initial report completely had to change. Now, unfortunately for us, we couldn't suck the first one back. It had already been out. It hit the world, and it had its impact, and it was huge. Senior leadership throughout this organization, suffice it to say, was just completely freaked out. Just, I mean, they had the full-blown freak flag flying because this was a big deal. How could we be this stupid? Those people, and this is what they said, those people need to be terminated. That's it. We need a new crew there. They don't even know what they're doing. But when we took the time in a narrative to really discuss what happened in great detail, filled with the context, because the context is everything. Thank you, Shane Bush. Brilliant. Context is key. 
once they understood the context, then we actually understood that what happened was actually creating an operational efficiency and was done entirely to save time, but more importantly, to save millions and millions of dollars. Because if my memory serves me correctly, and remember this is like 20 years ago, it seemed like they needed 2,000 pounds of weight on that elevator. So that meant the elevator inspector was going to introduce 2,000 pounds worth of waste into a radiation contamination facility. And the cost back in those days was pretty high, a couple thousand dollars per pound to remove that stuff, to clean it, to disposition it, to get it to some kind of waste storage area. It might have even been a couple thousand pounds per ounce. And so this was going to cost a ton of money, a ton, a ton, a ton of money. But instead of doing that, they actually used weight that was in the facility, already there, already crapped up, and then added to it till it got to the 2,000-pound limit. The crazy thing about this story, and I do think it's kind of an interesting part of the story, is had this not failed, A, the elevator would have been certified. That would have been amazing. And B, I don't think we'd ever know. We'd certainly never tell the story. I mean, you'd never, we wouldn't have the story to tell because nothing happened. And yet all the same components that led to this egregious five-alarm accident where senior leadership is really freaked out, all the same components that existed to cause it to fail were the same components that would have existed to cause it to be an enormous success. And that process is exactly where we are. The key in understanding and moving forward in our business is understanding that taking the time to describe in a context-rich environment what happened, not who did it, but what happened, sets the organization up for what's going to happen next. The way we improve is based entirely on how leadership, management, how the system, how the organization chooses to respond. And it's a choice. It's absolutely a choice. And in this case, what's so interesting to me is that once we looked at the event with an eye for understanding how this took place, the story we told was not the story of how a group of workers failed this organization and cost millions of dollars in a pretty historic and significant place that was super crapped up. No, we didn't tell that story. The story we told was how the context of environmental remediation in a highly contaminated historic radiation facility, and this was an early research reactor, how that story is going to color and temper how the organization responds to what's happening. And that's key, really key, and makes a huge difference how we think about the world. So that's the story. What do you think? I mean, I was just thinking about that story the other day, and I thought about it, it to be fair, in relationship with the Triton submersible event. And there's just been a lot of things that have been going on that I'm super interested in and kind
kind of wondering how it's all going to move forward. The crazy thing is that the discussion around resilience and failing safely, the, we've been having these discussions for years. I mean, there's, what are there, 450, there's like a thousand podcasts. I mean, we, we've been having this discussion for years. That discussion is becoming more and more part of the normal discussion on a daily basis. And, and I think that's good because it allows us the ability to sort of understand and have different dialogues with our organizations. And that's the key. If we can get our organizations to be interested in doing things better or maybe doing things differently is a way to say it, then we're almost immediately going to see improvement. But a lot of that is going to be formulated on how we talk about the problem and how we introduce the critique, how we introduce what happened to leadership. Because what leadership's going to do, no matter what we say, is they're going to respond. That's their job. But we want them to respond in such a way that it moves us forward. It makes us better and smarter, faster, quicker, more effective. That's what we want to do. And that's really a key component. I don't know. I just thought that was an interesting story to tell. In the midst of introducing you guys to shiny ribs and talking about the weather and all the stuff we did, I think that story is worth telling. And I hadn't told them that in a long time. In fact, to be really honest with you guys, I sort of forgot about it. I mean, I was just thinking of it the other day, and I thought, did that really happen? Yeah, it did. Yeah, that's a real story. I mean, it seems made up, but it's real. But that really happened. And we learned a ton. And we were able to quite effectively call the dogs back and get them to take kind of a breath and to look at this not necessarily as a failure, but in fact as kind of a giant success as it relates to cost savings in remediating highly contaminated facilities that have historical significance. So that was a big part of it. Thanks to Cindy Wagner, because part of this story is hers as well. And thanks to you. I'm glad you listened. Tell your friends. Join in. You're always welcome. It's always fun to hang out with you. That's for sure. Learn something new every single day. Have as much fun as you possibly can. Be kind to each other. Be good to each other. And for goodness sakes, you guys, be safe.